Welcome back to the Lost in Citations podcast. Today I'm joined by Dr. Simon Humphreys, the Professor of Intercultural Communication at Kansai University. Dr. Humphreys, how are you? Hi, fine, thanks. Please call me Simon. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and More I, relaxing, yeah. I've, I've met you a, a few times at some Macquarie get-togethers. So it's yes. it, it's 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 nice to talk to you about your work, and and dig into some of your research today. Yeah, I, I wanted I wanted to start out with, so, the first episode I interviewed Seiko Harumi, and at that time, yeah. I, I didn't know that you knew each other. Are you involved in in the book that she's coming? She's uh, publishing in June. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I have a book chapter in that. Um, so there are there are two editors for that. So Seiko and uh, Seiko Harumi and Jim King, they're the two editors for it. And um, um, so I've worked on a one chapter with Jim King where there's an intervention uh, due to student anxiety, trying out an intervention there to see how uh, the students respond to that, whether it reduces their anxiety or not, to reduce silence. And then my own study uh, that that I first author is a separate one. And uh, in that one, it's dealing with high school students. It's a, a quantitative study using structural equation modeling to uh, see what kind of factors help students to speak or impede their speaking, so cause silence. Well, that's great. So for people that haven't listened to citation number one with Seiko Harumi, go ahead and push pause and go back and listen to that. And the, that book... <laughs> East Asian Perspectives on Silence in English Language Education. You have a chapter in, in this book, um, yep. again, East Asian Perspectives on Silence in English Language Education. We're also going to be talking about another book that you have a chapter in, which is The yep. Emotional Roller Coaster of Language Teaching, also published yes. by Jim King. And that when is that when is that coming out? Is that this month? Yeah, that, that's that's Next Jim month. King and uh, Christina Gounod. And uh, Jean-Marc Duvalle are the uh, three editors for the other book that's coming out next month. Great. Okay. Yeah. So, and I'll I'll put those links on the show description. Um, before we jump into the chapter we're going to discuss today, which is "Please Teach Me How to Teach: The Emotional Impact of Educational Change," I just wanted to read you something that uh, Seiko wrote about you. I guess we we had some emails back and forth, and I, <laughs> okay. and I I. I wrote, I wrote her to thank her for coming on the show, and then I said that you're going to be coming on the show, and yeah. it was just such a small world. This is what she said. Yes, I have known Simon for several years now, and he's one of the contributors for the book. He is a brilliant scholar, so I'm sure you will enjoy the conversation with him. How much uh, money did you did you send her to, 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 to say that? Seriously, that's... Yeah, I'm I'm dumbfounded. Yeah, I, I guess she doesn't know many scholars, I suppose. <laughs> no, I'm really pleased that she said that. Yeah, we, we met um, a few years back in Ireland at a conference there. Uh, we had a, I was working at Doshish University then, and one of my colleagues there said to, to meet uh, Seiko because, you know, she's a, she's a good person, fun to talk to. And uh, yeah, so we, we met through another colleague and it was, yeah, it's such a small world thing because I'd been I've been writing about silence and stuff and and her book is not her I mean her her 
ELT Journal article is really well written. So that really inspired my own structure for studying. So really, it's the other way around, really. She's inspired me with the uh, silence side. So, um, yeah, I feel quite, yeah, stunned. <laughs> but happy she said it. But, yeah, it should be the other way around. Yeah, she's the one that's inspired me. Well, that's why th- this this podcast is already starting to become exciting because her yes. her article, the, the, the citation number one, I, I always, it, it'll always be sort of with me in all the work that I'm doing. And it was really cool to reach out and sort of talk to the real person. And then it turns out that yeah. you know her as well. And then it's sort of, it can snowball. So this is, this is kind of an exciting project. And if people, yeah. anyone wants to reach out to the show, please send us an email lost in citations at gmail.com. All right, let's, let's jump into uh, today's article. Uh, but before we do that, you're, you're a professor. Now, this this might be a dumb question. What's the difference between a professor, an assistant professor, an associate professor? Does, does it just mean you have a larger desk? What what exactly does that mean? <laughs> I mean, cynics will just say it's the amount of money you earn, I guess. But um, at, at our at our place, really, when you um, the, there's the uh, once you're when you have a tenured position. So because, I mean, for people who are outside Japan, they might not know the system, but there's the there's like the system with the uh, tokunin, the like it's maybe like a five year contract. And no matter how hard you work, you're just limited to five years and then mm-hmm. you have to move on. Um, and uh, then there's the, the tenured system where once you're in, you're you're in for life. So um, th- those those ranks at my place anyway start at assistant and then associate and then professor. And really we're encouraged to do a lot more research when we're at the assistant or associate professor level to try and publish as much as possible. And then when we become professor, we're then, uh, we, we then have a lot more uh, committee work to do. So it's kind of understood that we might not be able to publish or research as much. We, we still need to, but we're, we have to do a lot more committee work so, and a lot more university-level committee work as well. Is, is Kansai University one campus or is it multiple campuses? I think we have. We definitely have multiple ones. We, I'm on the Senyama campus in Suita, which is the big one, and uh, we've got – uh, at least two or three more, because and then there's lots of schools as well. So we're we're quite quite big, quite spread out. Because on upcoming shows, there's going to be a bit of a Kansai connection. Curtis Kelly's going to be coming on the show. Oh and, yeah, he's on my campus. And then Chris Haswell's going to interview Chris Ra- Ramonda. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, yeah, oh. I work with him. Yeah. So there's a bit of a, a Kansai connection going on. Yeah, you, you've got two great people to interview there. You'll you'll enjoy it. They'll, all right, they'll so advise. let's um. All right, let's jump into this this chapter. So the chapter is please teach me how to teach, the emotional impact of educational change. Now, if someone wants to push pause and read it before we get into it, how can they do that? Should they just email you and you can send them the chapter? Is it, they, should they is buy it possible? Oh, sorry. Sorry, is it possible for you to to put a link to my my research gate? Yeah, sure. uh, site is... where it, it's a preprint, so there's the there's the occasional typo in there, but um, it, generally it's the same as the as the book. 
I think the only, I think there's only one real typo, which is just, I think I missed a year off one of the publications for stake in my, uh, in my reference list. Apart from that, I think it's almost the same. The, the page numbers are different, of course, as well, because it's not the same as the book. But apart okay. from that, for the, for the content, if they want to read it for free, that's the best way. Okay, so I'll put a link to the article in the show description that will go to your ResearchGate page. Yeah. Is that okay? Good, yeah. And, and they can email me too, of course, if they want to follow up with any questions or anything. That's great. So all that information yeah. will be on the show description for, for people to find. The the upcoming yeah. book is The Emotional Roller Coaster of Language Teaching, and your chapter is, is called Please Teach Me How to Teach, The Emotional Impact of Educational Change. Now, I want to set this up from my perspective in that yeah. when I first met you at the, at the Macquarie Party at JALT, we were talking yeah. about research and how I was just sort of applying and you know getting getting involved in that. And we were talking yeah. about grants and we were talking about Kakenhi. And you had mentioned to yeah. me that that you had won a Kakenhi. And I, yeah. you know, I asked you, you know, how did it go? And you you said it it you said it, it like failed or it uh it bombed or you were you were completely it was such a refreshing <laughs> it was such a refreshing thing to hear, such the honesty yeah. where you 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 were you, but then the, the, the point that, that I'm making is that this idea that okay maybe something goes wrong and doesn't go to plan. Um, yeah. So many researchers out there do questionable research practices where they sort of you know change the the hypothesis or they fit the the, the methodology or they change things to fit you know what the results were. Um, so yeah. many so many people do that, and your your idea is well well this went wrong, but there are there there are valid things that could come from it, and that's what this that's what this study is kind of all about this chapter. Now, the, the basis of this chapter is an outlier to an initial study, correct? So yeah. can you yeah. first summarize the initial study? So this kind of links in a, a bit to what you were talking about with Chris and Seiko quite a lot as well. It's about the, you know, the, the Japanese context, the problems we have with uh, students uh, speaking in class and so on. And... Um, I was working at what we call a Kosen, a Kogyo Koto Senmon Gakko, which is similar to in, in the UK, we have um, further education colleges. In America, I don't know what you would call it. Is it a junior college well, or something? Well, like the ages said 15 to 20. Yes. So in America, junior college, start, junior college and college starts at 18. So okay, it's this a seems a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like in the Japanese system, um, students will do junior high from 12 to 15 and then high school from 16 to 18. And then they'll go on to the tertiary level. So it's a, in, in our case, it's a bit like that high school, 16 to 18, plus an extra two years of tertiary level. And uh, so rather than um, when they finish those five years, uh, the, the need to go and take a university entrance test is removed. And this is quite a big thing because um, in Japan, with the English teaching, we kind of can't get away from the testing in a way um, and talk about the, the washback effect of the university entrance tests where 
uh, teachers feel a bit of a pressure to they they feel a pressure to teach communi communication a little bit, encourage students to speak, but there's a stronger pressure to make sure that those students get into good universities. So they have to do a lot more reading practice and translation and grammar and so on to, to make sure that they don't fail. So that, that's a very real pressure that they've got from parents and so on. Right. Um, but in our context, the students, after graduating in their fifth year, they could just transfer into a university. And many of them went to pretty good national universities as well. Um, even if they weren't the strongest academically, um, based on uh, an interview, rather than taking this English test. So it kind of gave us a freedom. And um, also, we were also free from using the, um, the government textbooks, which um, if you look at the government textbooks, well, when, when, when I was doing my PhD, looking at the government textbooks, you look at them like the introduction and it would say things like we're following the government's communicative aims, blah, blah, blah. And then you actually use it and you can see that it's just very kind of uh, highly structured exercises and a huge teacher's pack with guidance for teachers how to uh, convey the information. It's, it's all in Japanese, uh, lots of support for translation and so on. So it, it, it doesn't really, the, the actual communication activities tend to be things like um, what do you want to buy? And then the answer is, I would like, and then A, hot dog, B, cheeseburger, C, some crisps, something like that. And then, which it won't be because I've switched to British English there, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of very, very highly structured. It's not really encouraging any kind of free communication between the students. So what, so, um, what was that yeah, so we, we, study? So what I, was going to say, what I was going to say was we didn't need to use those textbooks. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't need to follow the, the government curriculum. So we could, we could introduce a change where we could do our own testing. We didn't need to worry about the, the university tests. And we could have these communicative textbooks for our students to use. And, and that, that was the change. So I wanted to to research then how our And this teachers, was in 2014? Yeah. 2015? That's when the publications came out. Okay. The, uh, the, there was a book chapter and an ELT journal article that came out in 2014, 2015. Okay. Like I say, there's a, there's a time lag, you see, with right. these things, like with the Kakenhi and so on. Mm -hmm. So uh, be prepared, like when you're publishing, that it, it takes about two years, I think, quite often for a publication to to i think seiko was saying about our our book that we were working on i think she said four years i didn't realize it'd been that long but it, it takes a while for these publications to come out so um the actual study took place in uh 2010 oh wow okay i think it was yeah the and data what, collection well, and what was that's when you were yeah. you were observing teachers yes how how many teachers did you so you were observing teachers and you were comparing two texts one that was more CLT approach one that was yep. more transmission approach I'd, I'd actually never heard that term before which is maybe a good one for Japanese teaching mm -hmm. how many teachers did you observe in that data collection the the original study 
Four teachers, yeah. Four teachers, okay. And then this, so this chapter is based on one teacher who was an outlier. Now, is the name that you used in the study that is that his real name? No, that's his uh, his uh, pseudonym. Okay, Let so, me tell you his real name now. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> so we can we can call him Daiki. Yes, please call him Daiki. That's fine. So now, when you were doing the initial data collection, you you saw that he was an outlier immediately. Or you saw that he was an outlier, you know, over time, uh, retrospectively. How 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 are you viewing his responses to the study? I'd I'd never been in any of their classes before. I'd never seen any of them teach. I I'd read about Yakudoku, the Japanese grammar translation system, and so on, but I'd never seen it in reality. And um, he was actually the fourth person that I observed. There was a little bit of overlap, but it was roughly kind of consecutive. Uh, so he was the last one. I actually deliberately chose to observe him last because the, the, the only thing I did know was that uh, he couldn't speak English very well. Um, mm-hmm. we, we'd been to many um, drinking parties together and so on, like, like you have in Japan, the Enkai. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd we just kind of code switched together, m- me with my broken Japanese and him with his broken English and joking together and so on. But we we didn't talk about teaching or education. What was so, your what was your position at the time? Uh, Were you in a leadership was, position over him? Was there a status issue there? Yeah, I, I, w- I was tenured full time. Um, would he, he consider part-time. you his boss? No, okay. no. But over the textbook selection, uh, it was the the f- I was in charge of uh, choosing those new communicative textbooks. I see. So okay. that that does have an influence there, yeah. Okay, so the initial study that was published in two thousand fourteen, his his data was not included. Uh, bits bits of it included i think but uh not not a great deal I see. um to see his data more clearly there's another book chapter i did about um observation and i think i included some of his data there but most of it i couldn't include now when did you decide to go back to his data because i i think this is a, a yeah. useful thing for people to learn that maybe yeah. things didn't go exactly how you planned but actually there's something useful for not only yourself as a researcher, but for other people to read. When did you start thinking that this data could be useful for something else, which you call, what did you call this study? A post hoc self-reflexive emotional labor <laughs> perspective. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, <laughs> so originally to put it mildly, yeah, we, we like to do this, don't we? It, it's really good for you that you do this, podcast by the way because as as writers we we use these very dry terms and so on in our papers and the poor readers that have to read it and then they're wondering what kind of people we're, we're like in in real life the people that write this stuff uh, so it's it's really good that you're doing this but um yeah so actually when i was doing my phd i remember reading a really excellent paper um it was written by two academics from Aston University um, and I knew them because I did my master's degree with them 
and it was something like the title was something like I like cakes or something like that in, in the title. And it's all about interviews, how interviews can go can go wrong. I see. Or or the fact that interviews need to be you need to bear in mind, even though we're told to be quite neutral in an interview, mm-hmm. that that uh, there's often relationships and power differences and so on. Right. So it's it's um, so I'd always had that at the back of my mind that I'd like to do a similar article, and I did one about observation because this study included observations too. So I I, I published a, a book chapter about about observations, how observations can go wrong. But I, I still felt, um, and the problems facing that. That that's in a book with um, published by Roger Bernard. If anybody would like to ask me about that one in future, but it, it covers other areas too. But I, I'd always wanted to kind of go back to Daiki. And I thought this is like pure gold. <laughs> a lot of the stuff that he would say or do, uh, in some ways, if it weren't so stressful for me as an observer or interviewer for a third person it can almost look kind of entertaining like from a kind of unreal monty python sketch kind of way so i would always had it at the back of my mind and then um christina who is the uh, is the editor um she'd come to our to our campus uh, to do um a guest lecture and she mentioned this book and what it was about and i was like Oh yes, count me in. I thought fantastic. This is just what. So it was just kind of serendipity in a way, just through my colleagues inviting her to Kandai and then me meeting her, helping her a bit with her setting up her presentation, so on, talking about research. Now, before we you know dig into this uh, deeper, it's just so interesting if you go back and listen to to. So Chris Haswell and I were going to be the rotating hosts yeah and so he interviewed me in a previous episode and and we were talking about towards the end of that episode he mentioned a few things um one he was interested in studying teacher emotions he asked me if i was interested in that which i'm not really interested in but i said i i am interested in reading it i'm just not interested in doing the studies that was one the other thing is he mentioned how in his beginning of his teaching career he would take he would he would create uh, a like a, a pseudonym for himself, or an, he would become right. a false. He would become an actor. Yeah, um, yeah. And and this is right in your paper. You talk about yeah. how, how some people <laughs> some people take on what do you call it? Surface acting, yes. where they pretend yeah. to show a particular emotion, or deep yeah. acting by directly exhorting feeling or making indirect use of trained imagination. Um, yeah. And then you talked about emotional consonants where all these things blend into the true self, which he sort of, in his own words, described that uh, perfectly, which he sort yeah. of evolved yeah. from surface acting to emotional consonants. And then also this yeah. study is where you're, emo- you're, you're, you're studying teachers, the emotional strain of teaching. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's just fascinating that, that I, this is something that I'm really interested in reading. I would be wary to do this sort of research. Mm. Uh, perhaps from another another uh, word you mentioned, I think was emotional contagion. You yes, know, dealing yeah. dealing with these people's emotions, um, it's tough. You know, it, I think it would it would be draining on the researcher themselves. So that's why personally, mm. I would want to stay away from 
it's almost like it's almost like a car crash. I want to read it, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're you're interested in anxiety, and that's that's like you're what you're you're looking at the anxiety of, of students, right? Um, so that there's definitely that kind of overlap there, um, as well. But it, it it it's messy dealing with anxiety. It's messy, but at the same time. I mean, especially with the way the world is at the moment, people are, are suffering with the with the virus and so on, losing their jobs and um, losing loved ones. Anx- anxiety is, is is I think is something that is worth studying. So it's really good that you're doing it, and I, I hope more people do it, study it, and learn ways to help people. And and that's one thing that I've actually have one regret about that I, I mentioned in this book chapters that I, I didn't take that next step. Um, Daiki was in a way reaching out for help from me. And I was trying to do, cause I was a young PhD uh, candidate at that time, very inexperienced. And I was trying to keep the professional distance and so on, trying to do, what I felt was the right thing to do within the paradigm that I was using. But I wish I'd shown some more uh, flexibility at that time to help him. So even though I'm sharing my mistakes, um, yeah, if I could get into a, oh, cause you're, cause you're American. Do you know, do you know Dr. Who? Do you know uh, Dr. Who? He has a, that's he has a, that's a, TARDIS, a, show, a time right? machine. Yeah. Yeah. A TARDIS, a time machine. If I could get in a, ti- a TARDIS time machine and go back, I-, I would like to do some kind of participatory action research with him well, to kind of help him through it. I like yeah. your introduction. You, you state the unusable data remain unreported. However, we can learn a great deal from when things go wrong. Um, mm. And then you quoted prior. You said, I hope that we fail more often and that we fail in unexpected ways. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope researchers take that to heart that, yeah. That sort of uh, article, I think, is much more interesting. Where instead mm, of the pristine, perfect article, where you know this is our hypothesis and it went perfectly to plan, it's like, oh, okay, great. I mean, I, that's good too. But I, I think maybe there's sort of the idea. This sort of article is really interesting. I think because there's 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 a lot of layers. There's a lot of layers to it. So let's let's get into the the methodology. So there was there was four teachers. So we're going to focus on Dikey. You observed him last. You said you were yeah. you were comparing two textbooks, uh, vivid and on the go. One was yeah. more the transmission approach, and one was the CLT approach. And you observed him over was it four? Was it over four classes? Four classes for each textbook. Yeah, four classes for each textbook. Now, did those alternate, yeah. or was it four and then four? There was kind of an overlap, really. Okay. Um, yeah. It was quite intense. It, it, the the four participants, I observed them over a very intensive six or seven week period, I think it was. And you videotaped all the teachers. Yeah. And you were hoping to mitigate the observer effect. That's what that's what you that's what you mentioned in yeah. the article. In the, in the chapter. Yeah, by, by that's right. Yeah, by by the, the way to mitigate it is to try and observe as as frequently as possible. Yeah. And then you were sitting in the back, you, the video camera was on and you were taking yeah. notes. How, how often yeah. during the lecture were you taking notes? Would you say? 
Is it a constant uh, thing or if it's like something came yeah. a structure to how you were taking notes? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I, I had kind of like a, I use like one of these like tricolor pens, black, mm-hmm. blue, and red. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think I use black for, uh, for just general notes, like factual things, like say the time the class started or something like that. And I think I use blue for, um, concepts that were arising that linked with other um other teachers what they were doing or or just concepts that were arising out of the study and then i used the red pen for things that i wanted to question him about uh, in the interview later on so that way when i when i interviewed him after the class i could quickly see the red ink and and ask the questions so when, I wanted to follow when did on. the interviews happen directly after the class uh it's a bit difficult to do that because they because it was a bit like a high school rather than mm-hmm. university that they were quite busy with lots of classes but as soon as possible after the after the observation and yeah how many interviews did you do with him with Dyke, i think i did quite a few i think i did a I think it was about eight, actually. Okay, so yeah, it, was, it was it was different for each one, but yeah. So maybe so around the same amount of observations, you did interviews, and the yes. inter the interviews were these sort of during the same time of day. Uh, was there was there a factor there where he could have been more stressed, at, in at one inter- interview compared to the other, depending on the the day or time? That's a good question. That's a good question. I I didn't consider that, but um, yeah, it's possible. It could have been the end of the day sometimes, maybe thinking about going home. But he seemed quite relaxed. In the interviews, he would – I think his was the the longest, the most amount of minutes of interview. Um, so he – in some way, it was like an emotional roller coaster. Sometimes he seemed – he'd be laughing and we'd, be, we'd both be laughing together about things. And then other times I could see that he was quite worried about something and – I was worried that he thought I'd be evaluating him and um, I used to have to keep repeating to him, I'm not evaluating you. Um, his story sometimes changed well, um, that... and I could tell I could tell that was because he felt worried about telling the truth to me. Well, there – yeah, in the – one of the things that really stood out was one of the students implied that you're teaching us differently – um with this observer here not only are you using different colored chalk but you're you're normally not in the room so do you think he altered his teaching approach when you were because that then obviously you couldn't (laughs) mitigate the observer effect um did he alter his teaching approach when you were there (laughs) i'll give him the benefit of the doubt for that i i think that they were teasing him I think it was a bit of banter from the from the boys in the in the classroom, and uh, he he took it quite well. He 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 seemed to laugh as well when they were saying this. Uh, but that's I hard. Really that's hard shocked. to get the that's hard to get the context when you read it, though. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. hard to get that because um, you you're the only one that can know that. But as the reader, when mm. I read that, I think, well, what's is there something behind that? You know, so that so you're it, saying it could be. It could be. I mean, I, I, because I'm not evaluating him, I can't say to him. So 
have you really changed it? I mean, they're, they're such ridiculous things to say. You've changed the color of your chalk <laughs> or things like that. They're, they're so like silly that um, I, I, I've got to just assume that they are teasing him. Some of the more serious things were they accused him of calling them uh, kuzu, scum, right. uh, like the, the ones that sleep or, uh, you know, they've got like no kind of role in the class. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's probably correct. That, that one, the students, it, the atmosphere was much more aggressive mm-hmm. than that one. It was very confrontational. All right. So, and, uh, yeah, he... but, the, but the, 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 the chalk color one seemed more having a laugh, students having a laugh. But what about not being in the classroom? Did they say, is that what they said? <laughs> Did they say that? One yeah, of the, you, one you of the, one of the comments the was, you're not normally here in the classroom <laughs> while we're sleeping. I think, I think that was a joke. Okay. I do think that was a joke. They, they came out with so many things like that. That, okay. that was you one said, of You said student things. one also expressed fake surprise that Daiki was in the room to teach them claiming yeah. that he normally left them alone and also right. joked that he was using a different color of chalk from normal. Yeah. I, 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 to be honest, my, my interpretation was that it was a joke. So my, my, my concern rather than thinking that he's, he's not turning up to teach them. My concern was more that um, they're behaving differently because I'm in the room They're they're teasing him more uh. than they would normally tease him. That's what, that's what I intended. So, and that's why I felt like stopping the study. So he was 41 years old at the time, and right. he'd been working there for quite a few years. Um, yeah, six years, it, I think, yeah. The, the students, he seems to have a bit of a discipline problem with the students, I, yeah. I would say. Um, there's a bit of a disconnect between expectations of behavior I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I don't know if that's true. I, it seemed like he didn't appreciate their behavior, but at the same time accepted that that's the way it is. And that's what one of the things that I kept coming back to in this paper, there was a bit of a disconnect. And I think that's why you're saying some of this data was unusable because it was hard to find exactly what he was saying. Sometimes he, he would say he was frustrated at one thing, but then, yeah. then he would, so, but he would, he would be frustrated how the students are behaving, but then he'd say, no, I like them and I, I should understand them. That's how I was taught. Um, yeah. I'm frustrated because I, I don't really know how to use this text, but I'm also, yeah. uh, it's nice that I don't have any supervision. Um, mm. he, it seemed like he was really struggling with his yeah, own I, identity I, I, as a teacher. So I should say, first of all, that he, I think, uh, you, you, you mentioned disconnect between expectations and, uh, and the reality of the students. I think that would be more perhaps my side when mm. I was choosing the textbooks, um, choose, thinking that myself and the, full, the other full-time staff, thinking that we could move across to these, uh, these communicative textbooks with the students there, thinking idealistically that with the removal of, with the non-existence of an entrance test, for universities mm. that we could, we could try doing communicative. It would be fun and practical for the students that they'd enjoy it. It'd be less boring for them than the regular textbooks. But in reality, um, there was quite an acceptance. I think I mentioned somewhere where I, I asked him um, about what the students are interested in, what kind of English study or whatever the students are interested in. And then there's this long pause 
And then he says something like sleeping or something like mm. that. And um, and because he's the fourth person I interviewed about this, I, I kind of I was almost laughing inside when I, I saw his pause because I already knew the answer. Like they're, they're com- they were completely stumped. All four teachers, whenever I asked them what the students interested in, the students weren't interested in English. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a question I kept asking, but they, they just weren't interested in studying. Um, it, it's um, something that we have to accept. Um, we, as you know, our, our research, so I think I might mention it in this paper or in a different one, our research for communicative language teaching and so on, it originates in these kind of uh, banner contexts, British, Australasian, North American contexts, right. where um, quite often um, the researchers may be coming in contact with uh, students who are doing study abroad in small classes uh, with some kind of motivation to to mm-hmm. use the language outside of the classroom. And um, I think it's... Uh, Holiday, who talked about this, um, and um, for the rest of the world, other parts of the world, there's this reality where English is just um, a regular subject that students are are learning, like maths or science right. and so on, and uh, it's just a subject to do for a test. And uh, in the context where I was, um, most of the students tended to be sports students. They were, we were we were struggling to recruit students. We were in the countryside. Uh, the population of young people falling, uh, basically too many schools chasing too few students. So, um, some schools would have to close down. And in the end, our college did close down and relocate. Um, so we were kind of, there's a power imbalance between us and the students where it would kind of be basically, for um rather than a proper entrance test students would come for an interview and as long as they tucked in their shirts and their skirts were the right length they mm-hmm. were in pretty much and um th- there was very very low very very low kind of academic level there so uh well what was he, the, he what, was quite yeah what yeah, was the aim was the aim of the study to determine how well the teachers, the Japanese teachers, could transition to CLT? Or was the purpose of the study to to gauge their emotional response to CLT teaching? I, 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 I've developed more of an interest in emotions in more recent years. Uh, no, at that time, it was a very kind of open-ended. Uh, it was a genuine interest because I'd been involved in changing the curriculum and I understood that um, CLT had failed elsewhere, pretty much in Japan. And I was interested to see if there'd be some degree of change without this entrance test well, the, in our culture, in you, our place. Yeah. You're mentioning two things that align with what I'm researching as far as the, the causes of language learning anxiety. One is interactional domains, which the CLT you know provides changing groups, you know, yeah. The teacher's not standing in the front transmitting, as you, as you mentioned. Um, and the yeah. other is the disconnect between language testing, What you know, what's being tested for the college yeah. entrance, exam, entrance exam. So until we get sort of a, 
a uniform speaking assessment, maybe CLT is, is really never going to take off, right? Am I, is that well, too that's, that's what I, I mean, that's what, well, I mean, I, I was thinking that in my context without that test, and we introduced the, uh, the TOEIC bridge and mm-hmm. the TOEIC test, uh, the, the IP test. I mean, they're still not speaking tests, but we believe that maybe that that might help, you know, through changing the test, it might help a bit. But um, I don't know. It's just so diverse. All I can say is in in that context, it was the countryside. And, um, you know, you one teacher, a different teacher, not Daiki, mentioned, you know, he would be doing these activities where talking about, booking hotels overseas and things like that. And he'd ask them, you know, what countries have you visited? And they hadn't even left their hometown. Right. Um, what do you do in your free time? All they did was baseball practice up until mm-hmm. eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, mm-hmm. things like that. So in that context, it really didn't work. But um, I think in other parts of Japan, I, I'm focusing on high school now because this was kind of high school level. Other parts of Japan at high school level, I think there are there are um, these uh, super global high schools, and before that there were cell high, uh, where they're 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 trying a b- different ways to be more communicative, and they're all going for it, and they're hiring teachers and so on that that believe in communication and trying that. It might be working better there. Um, but to be honest, I don't know without actually – my daughter went to one of them, but um, I don't know for sure um, well, whether this changing the test. Will this is it. another reason why I, I, I like your work and respect it is the, the, the titles of some of your articles. So even if you go to Google Scholar and you type in Simon Humphreys, <laughs> the number one most cited article, it's called, In Reality, It's Almost Impossible, CLT-Oriented <laughs> Curriculum Change. <laughs> I love yeah. it. So it's great. It's honest. It's just that's the name. You're not it's trying to hide anything. To put a bit of humor in. Yeah, my only chance to put a bit of humor in is sometimes in the title before I have to be dry, or or through inserting humorous um, uh, quotes from the students or the teachers themselves. So that one is directly from a teacher. I um, see. One okay. of the participants said that. Yeah. Yeah. I recommend you do that um, if you're doing quali- – well, you're doing quantitative, but for people who do qualitative studies, um, because you're – in a way, you you know, people are chasing tenure and all the rest of mm-hmm. it. They have to write in a certain way to make it academically accept- acceptable. But one way you can uh, inject a bit of variety and personality can be through the, the interesting things that your participants say. So um, – that's one thing that I enjoy. So, uh, and and Dyke is great for that as well. Yeah. All right. I know this. I sort of sprung this on you. Um, right. The, this the 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 situational leadership model. Um, it's something that I've I've heard of before. Um, and it's the the idea is you have different sort of employees at different levels, where you have okay. uh, two two layers. One is competence, and one is commitment. And then depending on their level of competence or commitment, you can provide uh, sort of a coaching, coaching model or directing model, supporting, mm-hmm. delegating, these sort of things. And it seems yeah. like 
again, at the end of the article, he says, please teach me how to teach. And that's, that turned out to be the title of the chapter. Like you said, you, you took his final one, – one of, one of the final things he said. It sounds like he was looking for support and he was also looking for direction on – I think it was tough for him because it was, it was a new textbook. So I think he did – it looked like he, he wanted more support on how to use the textbook. At the same time, he was sort of used to teaching his own way. Um, he, I, it, it seemed like he was a bit uh, – it, it lost. It seemed like he, if I were his, um, you know, maybe in charge of him or a teacher, I know this wasn't your role, but maybe he needed more direction. Maybe he needed a lot of direction and a lot of support and he needed sort of, you know, coaching or, or professional development. Were, were those options available to teachers, professional development? No, no. I, I, I asked during the study if they shared, shared materials or discussed things, but no. Not really, no. They, I mean, they shared the odd handout sometimes, but... I mean, there's such no. a, this is such a dark ending. You, you, <laughs> I mean, he says, he says, please teach me how to teach. Yeah. Um, and then you said, Daiki was reaching out for my advice, um, but as a, you, know, you, you sort of mentioned as a balance of a researcher, that was, wasn't really my goal. He said, yeah. instead, unfortunately, shortly after this study, the school closed down and re- relocated. Subsequently, Daiki left the profession. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a yeah. such a dark ending. I feel bad for Daiki. <laughs> I feel like he needed he need he did need direction and support. Um, he needed if some it, coaching make, on how to if teach it the makes tech. You feel any, if it makes you feel any happier, I, I did meet him later on, and uh, we 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 uh, carried a we we did a matsuri a, a festival together where we'd carry a mikoshi a portable shrine, and um, I met him after, and he he became. I think he's like uh, doing orange farming or something like that. A complete change. But he was very, very happy. Oh. He was very, very happy. I, I think uh, he was pleased to leave the stress of teaching. <laughs> so he, he uh, in in the end, he, he was happy. But, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, was a, it was a kind of a – I mean, all contexts are different, of course uh, – that that cosen it it was under pressure we we understood the fact that the student population was falling um there was a lot of pressure on teachers to uh the full timers to meet certain targets that were not academic uh things like uh in my case i i was working on setting up uh, an, an international relations link with a college in the uk and coaching my students for presentation contests right and um other teachers were you know the the baseball the the football soccer and things like that under a lot of pressure to to win um but there wasn't the same kind of guidance on the academic side so um yeah it was something that the teachers laughed about in a way um in a kind of ironic way i guess that um we couldn't really move mountains with the academic side there. Um, and I think if you're really passionate about um, seeing students improve at English and so on, it, it could be quite depressing, I think, to be somewhere. But but Daiku accepted the way the students were, really. So I, I don't think he was upset about it i i wonder that yeah this model 
of giving more support and so on. I think if it were introduced, it would it would have to be in a way where um, rather than academics saying you should do this way or this way or management saying do this way or this way, right. I think it needed to be somewhere where the, the teachers could get together and share their problems, um, a kind of a bottom-up bottom up way. I think that would have been the best way of supporting these so, teachers, li- basically listening to their problems. So this is yeah. he's an interesting case because you you mentioned before and we mentioned about you know even Chris how he was doing acting, and we, yeah. before we talked about surface acting, deep acting, and emotional consonants. Sounds like Dyke had reached emotional consonants, and you know he wasn't he wasn't faking his personality. He showed real emotion when you were observing. Yeah. Um, so he was. It seemed like he was comfortable being himself, but he wasn't really comfortable in in teaching in the, in the role, is what it's. it's, it's and it, it sounds like he was just in the wrong job. Possibly, yeah. He he was definitely comfortable expressing his emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. So there was no restriction to to use emotional labor to to pretend to be happy. Mm-hmm. So that was the difference to the the two other studies. Um, with language teachers where the the teachers felt uh, to motivate the students, they had to behave in a certain way. And it seemed to learn to lead, lead to burnout in that way. Um, and like you mentioned about the fake personas and things are quite uh, funny as well, but in, in, a, in a distressing way. But um, so he didn't have that, that kind of need to pretend but but like you say, he was he was struggling with the new textbook. Uh, with the old textbook, I think he could just teach in the same way each time. He could just follow the instructions of the textbook, stand at the front, uh, translate things, explain things, and just carry on in that way in whatever context he taught in. But then with this new textbook, which required pair work and uh, um, more creative use of the language, it was very, very hard for him to to find a way of adjusting to that textbook. What, so in the end, he changed it to his way. Yeah. What advice can you give to people that are doing similar studies, these, these observations that are taking a large amount of time and these interviews that are taking a large amount of time um, what, what did you, what did you, I know you said you wanted to go back in time and maybe offer him some support. I mean, beyond that, as far as just from a research perspective, was right. there anything that you learned as far as like you, this was a waste of time or I could have been more efficient here or I should have done this or is there anything you, cause that, like you said, I mean, right. four teachers, eight classes, that's 32 yeah. interviews almost. Um, 32 few, observations, yeah. 32, 32 observations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with all, in, in all those interviews. So. I mean, it's just a lot to dig through. And then you had this one, you know, one fourth of your data collection was unusable, um, <laughs> essentially. So did you, what, yeah. any, was there anything you sort of, you, you learned, you must've learned, you know, something that, you know, a pitfall or something like that. I think for one thing, just accept your insanity for a bit. Accepting your insanity. Yes. It's um, because uh, your, your brain 
is getting taken up with all these various concepts and so on that you've researched and all what your participants have been talking about. You're totally absorbed in that. And then the people around you are on a different gear. So your your daughters are talking about what they did at school that day. Um, they're talking about the latest Disney film that they've been watching and things. And your wife is talking about, say, the shopping or, or food or, or what you're going to do tonight and so on. And and it's kind of hard to kind of uh, switch between between the two. Um, you, you you can kind of feel your eyes almost glazing over as people are talking to you about real day things. And I suppose the only person who fully understands your research to any extent is your is your supervisor. So it, it's just kind of um, quite a lonely thing that you just kind of have to get through and just accept that you're 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 in that situation for a bit. Um, in my case, uh, I used to get into a bit of a routine of going for lots of walks after lunch and so on to just clear my mind. Uh, makes it it might feel like you're wasting time to go out for walks and things like that when you could be really productive sitting at a computer or reading or something but it does work it, it really works well to go for walks and let, let your mind kind of reset and reorganize um, if you follow what I mean well accepting your insanity is that the next is that the next chapter in a book forthcoming book <laughs> could be that's a good idea isn't it or it could be a podcast as well well you have you have four daughters i mean i think you could write a book yeah. just on that i mean i, I only have <laughs> one daughter and that's still insanity yeah but it's happy insanity isn't it happy i mean the constant insanity. singing of frozen i would say is is definitely a form of, of torture i mean the repetitive singing once they catch a song they like it's just that's it's going to be we're on we're going to be on this channel for the next month or two Oh yeah, let it go. Uh from the first Frozen film. Uh Mine's on Into the Unknown stuff. now, Frozen Two. Yeah. We haven't watched that yet. We're gonna wait for it to come out on uh, on streaming, I think, and then watch it then. Oh it's good. But, it, it's good, but you're gonna Yeah, you'll 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 <laughs> definitely memorize all those tunes for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. all right, so the name of the chapter is Please Teach Me How to Teach the Emotional Impact of Educational Change. The forthcoming book is the emotional roller coaster of language teaching. Um, yeah. Is there anything else? Anything else you'd like to discuss on today's episode? No, I think that's fine. You you've asked me everything you you wanted to ask about various things. You're you're fine. You you've covered everything you you wanted to ask. Yeah. Um, I I mean I'm sure I'm sure I've I've missed some really important questions. If if you'd like to reach <laughs> out to Simon directly. I will post uh, his email address, so I'm sure yeah, people would like to, to reach out. I'm sure smarter people than me have better questions than me. No, 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 so that's a it's a good. No, been great, great questions. I've enjoyed enjoyed talking to you. Well, yeah. uh, thanks for coming on the the show. If uh, also be, beyond contacting Simon, if you'd like to reach out to the show in general, we have an email address. Email ad, not a what did I just say? An email address <laughs> lostincitations at gmail dot com. We have a Facebook page at the same name. Please like the page and share the page. Also, if you'd like to subscribe on iTunes, please leave us a five-star rating and favorable review. And maybe the easiest thing to do is when you're talking to your colleagues at conferences or in the office and you enjoy the show, just uh, recommend the show to a friend. So 
thank you for listening. And uh, I think there'll be an interview by Chris uh, next week. So thank you, Dr. Humphreys. Thank you very much. Thank you. One last thing. If you'd like to purchase the emotional roller coaster of language teaching, you can go to researchgate.net slash project slash the emotional roller coaster of language teaching and click the link to get a 50% discount. That's researchgate.net slash project slash the emotional roller coaster of language teaching. Click the link to get a 50% discount. I will also post that link on the show notes of today's episode. Thanks again, Dr. Simon Humphreys.